Nature is just the landscapes. I love, uh, I miss the east. I'm from Maryland, so I miss snow. I miss, so I do a lot of um, winter scenes. I really do. I love to sing. I love my artwork. And all these things are modes of expression. I mean, God has given us all gifts and talents, and we're to use them, we're to exercise them. But I think especially art and music are ways to mm, express. It's an overflow. It's a, my cup runneth over. When I sing, it's, a, it's an overflow, uh, as is my artwork, um, an expression of, of things that are uniquely me very personal, something nobody else can do. My goodness, I paint with my mouth. Hello? <laughs> I mean, even my dentist thinks that's quite remarkable. But to do something that's so private and personal and put it out there, not only for the encouragement of others, but for God's glory, um, that gives me such a sense of satisfaction. You know that Johnny Erickson's hot as a quadriplegic, and she paints with her mouth. What do you do with your mouth? I know a girl who likes Mountain Dew, and back in the day when it was in glass bottles with the crinkled lids, she didn't use a bottle opener. Am I right, Lois? She opened them with her teeth. That is not what God gave you teeth for. <laughs> Sometimes we use our mouths to complain, and I'm sure you haven't done that this week. Sometimes a curse word slips out of our mouth. Sometimes people talk dirty. The Bible says don't let any filthiness or foolish talk come out of your mouth, only that, because that's out of place. Instead, use your mouth to give thanks. Sometimes we gossip. Sometimes we use our mouth to express sinful anger. Am I right about this? Sometimes, sometimes our talk, sometimes we just can't get the words out. Sometimes our talk is empty and it just doesn't mean much of anything. But all what we want to talk about today is what to do with your mouth. And that is praise because praise can displace much of what is bad. That's what we're going to talk about today. Praise can make a, make a powerful suggestion to you. When you're tempted to do something with your mouth you shouldn't do, say something good. Even better yet, say something good about God. There's a danger, you know, in, in this because praise is really important. It's a skill and experience in praise is a lot more important than you think. Praise isn't dispensable. Praise isn't disposable. And if we're not good at praise, what's going to happen? Saying good things about God. If we're not good at praise, what's going to happen is eventually we're going to be weak, spiritually anemic. It's not going to be good for us. Uh, Calvin Miller wrote an allegory about the fall of the devil, the singer, the song, uh, the, a series of uh, allegories. In them, he talked about the fall of Satan. Uh, he put it in a way that's very creative. He said, um, he wrote about Satan who, who was a worshiping angel, but one morning, he said, he began his great insurrection by frowning and skipping his morning hallelujahs. It must have seemed like it wasn't a big thing at the time, but hell grows out of paradise gone sour. Joy is a discipline, and fallen angels are always those who grew negligent in their praise. It's dangerous for us not to give him praise, not to say good things about God.
and it displaces bad things when we do. My dad said when he would give me the car, he would always say, every time you put gas in the car, check the oil. I wish I had always done that. Every time you put gas in the car, check the oil. And then he would have this kind of ominous way of saying, because, Ken, oil is the lifeblood of the engine. That's what he would say. Here's what I'm telling you. Praise is the lifeblood of the soul. Praise is the lifeblood of the soul. Praise is a means. Did you know this? Praise is a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, and it says to be filled with the Spirit, it immediately says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your, to the Lord in your heart, and, and giving thanks always. This is an idea, I believe, of corporate worship, right? I believe that what Paul is saying in Ephesians is here are means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing and making melody in your heart, praising God is actually a means of being spirit-empowered, spirit-controlled. So, so, so praise is indispensable to our soul. Praise displaces things that are bad. Praise is a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise is the purpose of God's work in us. God does what he does so that he has people who will praise him. That's what it says, and Peter said this in, in the epistle, 1 Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who, are, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why did God do what he did for you so that you would give him praise? You're made for this. It's what you're made for. And praise is what we're is our ultimate destiny. It's what we're it's what we're destined for in heaven. And you see this all over the Bible, but in particular, if you look in Ephesians chapter one, you see in Ephesians chapter one that the thing is punctuated like it's 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 built around the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that that passage in there is punctuated with to the praise of his glory, that you would ultimately give him praise. Chapter one and verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with which he has blessed us in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 12, so that we would, who were first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. It's our destiny. In other words, if you're going to do this in heaven, you might as well get used to doing it here. Uh, in Ephesians 1, 14, he, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Ultimately, what are we going to do? We're going to give him praise, and we're going to love giving him praise. And, and so all of this uh, to, to remind us uh, this morning on Palm Sunday, we, we want to develop a soul that has praise just pouring out of it. And I want to tell you how to do that. We're going to go to a psalm in a moment to, to show you that. I had a friend whose name was Woody Shoemaker. He's a pastor. His wife was Gail. And Gail got brain cancer and Gail died. He wrote something about his wife was a radiant Christian. They were young, a charismatic family. He was a charismatic pastor. They were saved out of the Jesus movement. He was just a fun guy to be around. I loved him. And Gail and Lois and I would go out to dinner with them, talk about the things of the Lord at the richest time, talk about the things of the Lord. But he wrote this while his wife was dying. He said, I've been getting up early most mornings, and I've been sitting with Gail to read the Bible, to talk, and to pray together. Recently, Gail told me that she cannot sing anymore, not, be, not because she doesn't want to, but because she cannot. Neurological problems have affected her ability to sing. So we both wept together for a time. And then what he said, we thanked God for the many days that we're sharing together, these good days. Otherwise, we're assured that someday, 
Soon, maybe, we will both sing, and we will both walk, and we will both dance again. No matter what happens that might rob you of your song in this life, there's a day coming that no one will ever take your song away from you. No one will ever take your praise. And that brings me to this powerful idea, and this is just setting you up for why would we want our soul to be filled with praise. And that praise is one of those things that's contagious. When you're around somebody that has genuine praise, kind of rubs off on you, am I right? It's like a, a special, powerful contagion, if you will, a good, a good kind. Listen to me here. Listen to me. Here, there's something about praise we need to understand. And that is, people aren't generally shamed into good behavior. People aren't generally lectured into be good behavior. Rants are really not infectious. Lectures are, are good, but they have a limited influence. But when you're in the presence of a person who's filled with praise, it's really hard to resist the genial influence of that. I, I read a story about a boy who said, my only memories of my dad were he either came home drunk and angry or he came home silent and sullen. That's just the way it was either one or the other. My brother and I were like, he's going to be drunk and angry or he's going to be silent and sullen. Think of that. What if your presence, though, had a Godward, joyful, enlivening, charismatic influence to it. What if when you came in the room, people were like, there's joy in a the room. There's something going on here. Dad's coming home. I got to get to mom. If I could just get to mom. <laughs> my mother, I had a hard time in junior high school getting picked on. And, and, and I said to my mom one day, they're they kind of picking on me at lunch. And she goes, well, you have a open lunch hour. My mom and I were talking about this the other day. My mom said, well, you have an open lunch hour. Why don't you come home and I'll make you lunch? And so I, I said, well, if I ran all the way and if I ate really fast and if I ran all the way back home, I could do that. She goes, you run home today. So when the bell rang, I just took off running for home. When I got there, my mom was on the other end of the table. She had one of those little cheap pot pies that you make in the oven and a, a cloth napkin and some nice things there. She sat on the other end of the table and she listened while I talked and she fed me that food and then... I ran back. Are you the kind of person that people just want to run to be around? Maybe it would help if you would develop this powerful, contagious, charismatic ability to, to say things good about God, to say things good. Adoniram Judson was a Baptist missionary, a famous one. He has a beautiful biography. When he was dying, his sister wrote this about him. She said, about this time, Adonai began to have an unusual satisfaction and enjoyment in his private devotions. This is the, the, the famous missionary is dying, and his, his sister is writing about it. And she said, as he was dying, he had this powerful, um, unusual satisfaction and enjoyment in his private devotions with the Lord. And he seemed to have new object of interest continually rising in his mind, each of which in turn became special subjects of prayer. Now listen to this. Among these, one of the most prominent was the conversion of his posterity, that his kids and his grandkids would, would also follow the Lord, right? Listen to this. 
he remarked that he felt impressed with the duty of praying for their children and their children's children down to the last generation. He also prayed most fervently that his impressions on this particular subject might be transferred to his sons and daughters and thence to their offspring so that he should ultimately meet a long, unbroken line of descendants before the throne of God where all might join together in ascribing everlasting praises to their Redeemer. You are not going to badger your children to get in that line. You're not going to threaten your children to get in that line. You're not going to lecture your grandchildren to get in that line, that unbroken line where people ascribe the excellencies of Christ. You're going to win them by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your own life and the power of God on your own life because you are thrilled in God, because you love God, because you gave him praise, because your default was praise. Not complaint, not gossip, not criticism, but praise. I hope that you want to have a heart full of praise. Praise is expected of the children of the king. In the stories of the triumphal entry and the Palm Sunday stories are in all four of the Gospels. They're very important. Jesus is presenting himself to the Jewish people as the king. They rejected him. He cleanses the temple. He curses the fig tree. One of the things that happens in the, in the Matthew passage is the chief priests and scribes in Matthew 21, 15 and 16, the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, you know, like raising Lazarus, etc., and they saw the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the king of David, to, to, to the son of David. And they were indignant. And they said, do you hear what these are saying? Make no mistake about it. Jesus was presenting himself as Messiah king. They're saying, are you going to let them talk that way to the children, right? Do you hear what they're saying? Here's what Jesus said. Yes, have you never read... <laughs> it's a funny thing to say to scribes and Pharisees. Haven't you guys read your Bibles? Haven't you ever read a quotation of Psalm 8? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you've perfected praise. Don't tell me you can't praise. Kids can praise. Children can praise. Their natural default, you know, to, to praise. And so today, that was the world's longest sermon in direction. Today, on Palm Sunday, I'm going to teach you three ways to fill your soul with praise, our text is Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I'll just show you three ways to fill your soul with praise. Now, you, you know, I believe, you know this, if you know me, you know that I believe a story can be a gift. If you give somebody a story, you give them something that they can enjoy for the rest of their life. You give them something they can keep and they can give it away at the same time. It's an amazing thing. It's a remarkable thing to give somebody a good story. But that's the way it is with a poem, too. That's the way it is with a psalm. Am I right? Give somebody a good song, and it could be their life song. It could be something that rings in their heart all the rest of their life. Some of us will have songs that we will want to sing on our deathbed. There will be songs that will always remind us of people who are precious to us. A song is a gift. I want to give you the gift of a song today, song found in Psalm 103. You will come back to this over and over again in your life, in the dark night of your soul, in the trials that you face are difficulties, your marriage is stressed, your kids are stray, your job's not working out, your health is failing. You can come to Psalm 103 over and over again. It's a gift of a song. And in it, I see three very powerful reasons that you can have praise bursting out of your soul no matter what's going on in your life. 
The first one is this. It's going to be think as often as you can about the goodness of God. The second thing, and this is verses 1 through 7. The second thing is think as often as you can about the mercy of God, verses 8 through 18. In chapter uh, Psalm 103, 19 to the end of the passage, think often, as often as you can about the dominion of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the rule of God, the dominion of God. These are things that will put praise in the deepest part of your soul. Still look at the first one. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 7. Oh, uh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquity, who heals all of our diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Think as often as you can about the goodness of God. You bless the Lord, you're in your soul when you don't forget his benefits. Get, take an inventory of all the good things God's done for you. I know right now you say, I'm if you, you know, like if you have a little pain, you focus on the pain and you, you, you don't focus on all the gifts that he's given you, right? If you have a little difficulty, a little reversal or a big one, it's like it can be, it can like be all your world. But, but if you want to have praise coming out of your soul, think about the goodness of God. Concentrate on the goodness of God. Think as often as you can about God's basic nature and character and say that, how good God is. I understand you've experienced things that are bad. Maybe you've experienced more than your share of things that are bad. But what I'm saying here is take an inventory. And what you'll notice in your life is that mostly God, every day, has poured out good things on you. Write them down. Thank him. Start a journal. I won't shock you, but Jay Johnson fell off a roof this week. And he landed in the hospital. He didn't break anything. He could have died. He didn't break anything, but he was, he was injured and had some ligament strain and this week, you know, we go to the hospital to visit this guy, and he's got to be in a great deal of pain. But he understands the importance of praise. Here's what he said. I have pain, but that's good because that tells me <laughs> I have feeling. I'm like, I hadn't thought of it like that. <laughs> he said, I have pain, but it's good because it tells me I have feeling. I could have been killed. I could have been paralyzed. And if I was paralyzed, I wouldn't have feeling. I praise God that I have feeling. Even if it's pain I'm feeling right now. He gets it. He gets it. You might be feeling pain. You can thank God you have feeling. And, and uh, so think as often as you can about the goodness of God. Attach meditations and thoughts about the goodness of God to songs, to things that you see, to people. You know, you have a car that started when you, start, when you got in today. Did you thank him? Hey. My car hasn't always started in my lifetime. Sometimes I had a car that really helped my prayer life. I had to pray for it to start every day. <laughs> and now I'm like, it just starts. What if the Lord said, remember how you always would pray your car would start? Now I gave you a nice newer car, and it starts every time you turn the key. Have you thanked me for that? Thank you for my nice car that starts every time. Thank you for the food you keep giving me. Thank you for a warm house. Thank you for people in my life that love me. Thank you that even though sometimes my heart is broken, I'm not, I'm cast down, but I'm not destroyed because even though I struggle with anxiety or even though I struggle with depression, I still can cling to you. 
Think as often as you can. Sing as often as you can. Take an inventory of the goodness of God. And bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me. And bless his holy name. And bless the Lord, O my soul. And don't forget his benefits. He forgives your iniquity. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Second thing, think as often as you can about the mercy of God. This is a wonderful one. Think as often as you can about the mercy of God. Now, here's why this is important. You, in case nobody told you today, your worst problem is, you know, right, you. Your, your worst problem is your own sinful failures and your own mistakes. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you don't know my husband. I'm like, no, that's <laughs> not true. The worst problem is you. Your worst problem is, is you. It might be how you respond to your difficult husband, but, you, you know, and so your, your greatest asset is what? If our greatest problem is our sin, our greatest asset is the mercy of God. We have an answer. We have a solution for our sin. Believers have this. We, have the, we go, we live under the mercy. We live under the mercy of God. If you ever got an email from me, it probably said, under the mercy. So think as often as you can about the things God has forgiven you. Revisit your hall of shame, you know, with the backdrop of the cross behind it, and remember all the things for which you have been forgiven. Think about all that you've been guilty of. <laughs> Jesus wants you to live under the mercy. In, in, the, in, the, in the account of the triumphal entry, there is this beautiful scene where, you know, he's come from Jericho, and there's this tremendous climb and then Jerusalem is not in sight. And if you were to visit Jerusalem today, it doesn't look anything like it would have then. The Temple Mount would have taken up a quarter of the city, a huge edifice. It would have been like, the temple would have been kind of like rolling the economic center and the political center and the religious center all into one. It'd be like when they attacked in 9-11, they tried to attack the World Trade Center, which was symbolic of our finances, and the, probably the White House and the Capitol. It'd be like all of that in one place. At one point in the traveling that Jesus is making on this baby donkey, coming into Jerusalem to show that he's coming as an unusual king in peace, to, to get people to thoughtfully consider what he's taught, Jerusalem burst into view, the temple burst into view, and Jesus burst into tears, right? And why is that? Because he's merciful. Because he's tender-hearted. And that's the way he's always been. And that's the way he'll always be. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to suffer for your sins. He's made a, made a way for you never to have to suffer for your sins by suffering for your sins himself. And so he's, just think about this. He's merciful. Think about that a lot. That'll make praise burst out of your soul. Yeah, you're a sinner, but you're forgiven. You're under the mercy. This is a powerful thing. Now let's look at the text and see how beautifully it says it. This is shocking beauty. This is a gift that you'll never get over getting. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far 
Does he remove our transgressions from us? It doesn't take much imagination to see the cross in that. You ever notice that? Listen to verse 11 and see if you see the cross in this. As far as the, as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father chose compassion to his children, so the Lord chose compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Did you see that little family promise of the Bible? His righteousness to children's children. Listen, this is what God wants you to know about him, even in the Old Testament. Even in Exodus, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, he's a merciful God. He's eager to extend mercy to you. Uh, maybe you're a young man here and you struggle with moral purity as I think all the young men I've ever known have. And it makes you wonder if you're even saved and you struggle and you fail and you're tempted to just kind of give in and you think that God is going to set you aside and maybe you're not even a Christian. Do you understand you cannot exhaust the mercy of God? You can't sin so much that he runs out of mercy. And your heart is tender to God and you return to him over and over again in brokenness. God will cleanse you and God will make a godly man of you, a pure man, because you will never exhaust the mercy of God. You're a mom, and it's just something to feel guilty about every day of your life. You never get over feeling guilty. You should have, you could have, if only you had. And a lot of times when the little ones go to bed or when the big ones go off to college, you're left with your coffee going, I wish I had, if I only had, I shouldn't have said. There's just so much guilt to go around for moms but your guilt isn't greater than God's mercy. God's mercy is greater than your guilt. God's mercy is so much greater than your guilt. Your guilt will never exhaust the mercy of God. Amen. Think of what, what a, why wouldn't you have praise pouring out of your soul when the devil says to you, you're a sinner, and you say, of course I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner under the mercy of God. How could you not have praise pouring out of your soul? Only if your mind was screwed up about your theology about sin, then maybe you would have trouble with that. And then there's this. Oh my goodness. Listen to this. We have the goodness of God. We have the mercy of God. We have the dominion of God, the rule of God. He's in sovereign control of things and good. He's good and powerful. And listen to how this beautiful song expresses that. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. <laughs> that should comfort you. He's in charge of everything. That's a powerful comfort when your heart is broken. You know, the old thing like, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something, so I'm, I'm with you. I'm gonna trust you. I remember a, 
getting cut from the basketball team. What made me think I could make the basketball team? I have no idea. But I remember getting cut from the basketball team and going to find my name. It was a Wednesday night, and I'm looking on the board, and I can't find it, and my eyes cloud with tears, and I'm like, shoot, people are going to see me crying, and maybe my name's there, and I didn't see it, and somebody's going to call me out like, he's Pierpont's crying, but my name was not there. My name's never been on that list. And it just seemed like such a bad night. And I walked home in the darkness in the cold winter night thinking, can I make the basketball team, junior high basketball team, girls are never going to like me. <laughs> my motives might have been a little weird. <laughs> when I look back over my life, I laugh and I think, God was going, Kenny, I love you. You are totally not a basketball player. I didn't make you to be a basketball player. A little in the backyard with your boys, that's going to be the peak of your you know, deal right there. Like, get off the court, man. You know, I, I got neat stuff for you, but it, none of it involves sports, except maybe watching sports, you know. I, what's, what is it that you feel like, you know, your life is kind of out of control, things aren't working the way you wanted them to, stuff has happened, it's weird. Johnny Erickson dives off a rock, hits her head, and can't use her arms and legs for the rest of her life, and she wanted to die. And the only reason she didn't die is because she didn't have arms and legs to cut herself or take pills. <laughs> I watched her this weekend. She gave this testimony. She said, the night before I dove off of that platform, I dyed my hair with peroxide. She said, my hair was bright, peroxide, bleach blonde. She said, the day I dove off that platform and I hit my head, I thought, nobody's going to find me. I can't move. I'm going to drown. But her sister got bit on the toe by a sea crab, and it made her whirl around and say to her sister, hey, look out for the sea. And then she thought, I don't see her. And then she saw this white thing bobbing on the surface. It was her sister's peroxide blonde hair. Johnny said, if the sea crabs hadn't been biting, and if I hadn't gotten my hair dyed with peroxide the night before, I probably wouldn't even have lived. This is a woman who understands this verse right here that says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over sea crabs and peroxide blondes. I mean, that's not in the Bible. I, an interpolation. Bless the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, mighty powerful angels, obey him. They obey the voice of his word. 21, bless the Lord, all his hosts, angels, his ministers who do his will. If we saw the angels in stark obedience to God, it would, it would shock us all. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. God, you're the king everywhere. You're the king here. So praise bursts out of my soul. In the story of the triumphal entry, there was a donkey and a foal of a donkey lined up when he wanted it. I love this. It's in all those stories like, hmm. And it's an odd story, right? Give me the donkey. My master has need of him. Try that with somebody's car someday. See how that works. I'll take the Corvette. My master has need of it. Come on, over here. Give me the Corvette. Jesus lined up a donkey. I don't think it's an over-spiritualization because I've walked with God too long to believe this. This is true. If you need a donkey, God has one lined up for you in your lifetime. And you will. You will be so thrilled in your life. And many of you have already know what I'm talking about. 
as you walk with the Lord, God will put along the way all the things that you need to do what he called you to do. As simple as a donkey. And this donkey was the baby donkey unbroken. Do you realize the miracle that Jesus is able to step on a baby donkey who's unbroken in a loud crowd and control this donkey? That was, this was evidence that the master had control over all the wild beasts. He has control over everything, good, bad, and ugly in your life. Once there was a man, a young man, he married a young woman, and they desperately wanted to have a Christian home. They wanted their home to be unlike the homes they grew up in. They wanted to be filled with Bible reading and singing and scripture memory and devotions at night. They were devoted to this. So what they would do is they would have family devotions at night, and, and during their family devotional time, they would memorize scriptures, but they would also sing little choruses. One of the choruses that they sang was called, With Christ in the Vessel. We will smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile at the storm. With Christ in the vessel, we will smile at the storm as we go sailing home. When they were little, when the kids were little, this was a cute little happy chorus they would sing. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile. Okay, kids, go to bed. Kenny, Melanie, brush your teeth, go to bed. And we go to bed with that little song in our heart, with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. <laughs> and then when we got older, things happened in our family that were so hard and sad. Sometimes it just shook your faith to the core. And you would just stand there and think, oh, this is not good. And one day on an occasion like that, when this great sadness had come to our family, my dad said, let's hold hands. And my mom went, with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile at the storm. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home, sailing, sailing home, sailing, sailing home. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. Dozens of times when our hearts were sad and our family was scared, somebody started singing around the table with Christ in the vessel. We can smile at this storm as we go sailing home. But this song, Psalm 103, this is a song that will stick with you forever. Let's read it again and sing as we're dismissed. Stand as I read this passage one more time. Would you stand as I read it? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives our iniquity. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies us with good things. So our youth is renewed like an eagle. Bless the Lord, you his angels. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones to do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord all his hosts, his ministers to do his will. Bless the Lord all his works and all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. And my soul, my soul will bless the Lord and by his grace I will pull other people into the wake of my praise so that other people will bless the Lord forever too.
Amen.